Welcome to the Rhodes Trust Roads Ahead series, bringing you thought leadership from the Rhodes community around the world. In this set of podcasts, recorded during the inaugural Schwarzman Rhodes Symposium at Rhodes House, Oxford in October 2018, our contributors reflect on public leadership in the 21st century, in particular the challenges of ethical leadership, cultural understanding, and communication in today's fast-moving interconnected world. We hear now from retired US Air Force Lieutenant General Michelle Johnson, now Senior Vice President and Head of Referee Operations at the US National Basketball Association. I'm Michelle Johnson. I currently work for the National Basketball Association in New York City. I'm the Head of Referees, which has been my employee for about one year. I retired from the United States Air Force after 36 years of service as a lieutenant general, which is a three-star general. My last post there was as the superintendent of the United States Air Force Academy, which is one of the three major federal military academies in the United States, like West Point and Annapolis. My experience list began as a pilot in the Air Force. I flew cargo aircraft around the world during the Cold War in the 80s. I flew through Africa and the Middle East, South America, Europe primarily, and then some in the Pacific, and something called a C-141, which is a four-engine jet cargo plane. It was really a small group leadership lesson because our crew and I would be out there on our own. There was no GPS. This is in the olden days. So it was a great leadership experience, not the typical one after a Rhodes scholarship. From then, it was a very eclectic career, actually. I did well flying. I taught at the academy. I taught political science. And following that, I had a chance to be the military aide to two presidents and was carrying the nuclear codes in the order of succession. Following that, I had a sequence of command positions for organizations from hundreds of people and squadrons to thousands. My biggest organization I commanded had 4,600 in a wing in Kansas. These were every fueling tankers who deployed across the world. I actually had twins while I was the commander of that installation, and my husband hit 20 years as a pilot in the Air Force himself and retired and said that he would be the mainstay at home. Our twins are now 15 years old and in high school. Following the flying commands, I had this eclectic tour of executive jobs. I was head of personnel for a group of 58,000 people, the Air Mobility Command, and then I was head of public affairs for the United States Air Force for a couple of years. As a brigadier, I asked, could I focus on something a little more mainstream? And I was able to go to the joint staff where they had me work across not just the Department of Defense, but Department of State, the CIA, the National Security Administration, and others to align cyber command and understand what that domain means. That it's not just the province of intelligence or just the province of information technologists. That was a really fulfilling opportunity to create the memo that Secretary Bob Gates, who was the Secretary of Defense, signed to start Cyber Command. I moved to Big Logistics and U.S. Transportation Command to ensure the cargo would moving through the Central Asian railroads into Afghanistan through Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and Russia from the Baltics. And the seagoing carriers were able to supply U.S. forces across the globe civilian aircraft for cargo and passengers as well, and then road traffic and trucks. So we had every aspect of big logistics for a couple of years. I finally wound up at NATO in Mons, Belgium. My portfolio was very broad. It included all of NATO's operations on the military front, from Afghanistan to piracy off the Horn of Africa, counterterrorism in the Mediterranean, peacekeeping in the Balkans, especially in Kosovo, and air policing over the Baltics. In addition to liaising with the Russian liaisons to NATO, I traveled to Moscow and actually 
briefed the vice chairman of their general staff on NATO progress in Afghanistan because Afghanistan is on the borders of Russia and they're worried about drug trafficking and terrorism in their own right. So that was an interesting aspect of diplomacy. And that was all before I wound up at the Air Force Academy. It's been a very rich, very eclectic career and went all too quickly. When I went to the United States Air Force Academy in 1977, I was in the second co-ed class. And I learned what it felt like to be other because not everyone was very happy about women being included. We were just 10% of the population there. I was a scholar. I was an academic All-American basketball player. I was the top cadet commander. But it was difficult because I really felt other and it was scarring. But what it helped inform in my leadership after that is what it feels like to be other trying to help others not feel so other, and not to be surprised when I feel that way again, to know it's going to be all right on the other end if you can stay the course. Because as I became more senior, and if you're trying to bring a new notion to an organization or to fix something, those aspects of leadership can be lonely because it's on you to persuade and inform and nurture. I have had to adjust a lot in an operational setting around flight crews, and aircraft ramps and hangars and maintainers and security forces. Being strong, strong of voice, strong in presence is important and, and useful. Adjusting to different cultures, and not even different national cultures, but even professional cultures, has been really important to try and meet people where they are. I haven't always been perfect at it, admittedly, but to try to have a sense of self-awareness enough to know when you're coming on too strong or not coming on strong enough. Those are the things I've had to keep in mind. And then, obviously, when you're talking to people in outside organizations from other nations or other organizations, meeting them where they are. Following the air operations, for instance, over Libya in 2011 that NATO conducted, even after the operations ended at the end of October in 2011, I spent the next year working with UN agencies addressing civilian casualties that had been inflicted and to be informative and factual and yet compassionate with International Committee for the Red Cross or agencies of the UN really put my skills to the test. Great care goes into military targeting, which is obviously dreadful power, but it's done carefully with the advice of clergy or political historians to say what targets must you avoid. The NATO alliance takes great pride in being respectful of important cultural sites and religious sites. Still, in the course of war, tragedies occur, incidents that people take very seriously, and so it was an honor to be able to participate in that. Even though Russia, of course, is not in the NATO alliance, they're very interested in the activities of the NATO alliance. And so the Supreme Allied Commander Europe, Sakir, at the time when I was at NATO, Admiral Stavridis, wanted us to be as open as we could be with the Russians, especially about activities in Afghanistan, because of where Afghanistan sits on the borders of the old Soviet Union and the concerns about counterterrorism activities that would spill over from Afghanistan or the drug trade and the impact that would have on Russia. So it was my responsibility about every quarter of the year to update the Russians on the progress. On one occasion, I took a team to Moscow to talk to a counterpart. I was a two-star general. They were going to have me talk to a two-star general. But at the time, they brought out the four-star general. And he spent about three more hours with us than the original plan. It was very gracious. And this is around 2012. The German officer with me from NATO was nearly moved to tears because the portrait that we sat under did not include Germany because they, of course, were the opponent. 
it was an opportunity to have some respectful relationship. And in fact, the Russians enabled cargo coming through Central Asia into Afghanistan for the effort there. As a woman, it was interesting. Most other countries don't have women generals, but they were very gracious. For someone who started serving during the Cold War and then to actually, as a senior officer, be able to go in that capacity to the Kremlin was extraordinary. What has been fascinating about my time at the National Basketball Association is to learn some of the challenges that we face on basketball courts are similar to what's happening in society with the scrutiny that comes from social media and the immediacy of communication, the pressure on the players and the coaches and even on the referees has made communication and respect and the so-called soft skills that are so needed out in society actually needed on the basketball court as well. This is what the players are asking for, not just the accuracy of play calling, but would you make eye contact? Will you respect me? Will you listen to me? Will you talk to me? For public leadership in an environment where social media demands immediate responses instead of deeply thought out or complex answers, leaders need to talk to that. Whereas you'd hope that the internet would have opened people's minds to what's happening in the world, to the diversity of ideas, the tapestry of an issue. Instead, the search engines, if we're not careful, feed us back into what we read last time, what's comfortable. But I think we need to keep striving to base the discussions on facts and go back to some sense of respect for expertise without smugness, without elitism, that's something we need all across our society. The dopamine cycles that social media have preyed on, we need to at least be aware enough to step back and have thoughtful conversation and not forget the face-to-face -face communication that people really want. The technology is not going away, so we've got to forge forward, and I'm hopeful. That was retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General Michelle Johnson, now Senior Vice President and Head of Referee Operations at the U.S. National Basketball Association. You have been listening to the Roads Ahead series on public leadership. We do hope you can join us for our next podcast.